How's it going, everyone? If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to be here today. <laughs> turn to your other neighbor, tell him, I didn't forget about you. It's good to be here today. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You know, this past week was a, an interesting week for me. I was feeling great after last Sunday. We had a powerful service last Sunday. And uh, and I was feeling great. Monday was a great day. Tuesday was awesome. I was at work. And then I went and I went and got uh, Japanese ramen with Pastor Christian. It was good. And Hongdae, we were chilling, having a great time, feeling good, feeling strong. And then all of a sudden, by like 3 o'clock, I was <coughs> had like a cough. I'm like, what's What's going on? And then by 8 p.m., I couldn't breathe. I had like my throat was all jacked up. I was messed up and uh, I had a fever. I was I went to the doctor the next day. I was coughing and and all kinds of stuff throughout the night. And I had a respiratory infection. I got like a, an immediate infection. I thought those things take time, like days. Mine happened like over like two minutes before I knew it. I was sick. Um, but. Many of you have been praying for me this past week, so thank you. I feel a lot better now. Um, when I breathe, I do not sound like Darth Vader. <laughs> um, but I still got a little bit of a raspy voice. So. Um, but, you know, some people like that, so that's okay. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 16. The book of Psalms, the 16th Psalm. And that is on page... <laughs> Jenny gave us the page number. I was like, snap, come on. No one's going to miss this word today. You got the page number. Psalm 16. It's after Psalm 15. <laughs> psalm 16. We're going to read the whole psalm, but then we're going to focus on the last, uh, last four verses. Psalm 16. You know, there's power released just when you read the word of God publicly. The word of God in and of itself has power to heal, power to set free, power to regenerate, power to change. Psalm 16, it says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. And I want to focus on verses eight onward. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy and at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. Let me pray for us. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you that in your at your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. That in your presence there is fullness of joy and you make known to us the path of life. And God, as we set you before us, God, we are not shaken. But Lord, you make our hearts glad. Our whole being rejoices and our flesh dwells secure. God, we thank you that who you are, God, changes everything about our lives. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would shift our focus. God, that you would make us more cognizant of who you are and what you're doing in our lives than anything else that's going on. God, I come against the work of the devil who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And I declare that the word will go out and it will bear a harvest in our lives. Every heart that is coming to this place dry, apathetic, I declare right now by the Holy Spirit is being made open. I declare, God, in this place that you are going to change lives today. We thank you for it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk to you on the topic, God consciousness. God consciousness. See, I believe the foremost problem with most believers and most people today is that we are more conscious of our sin, our circumstances, and even ourselves than we are of God. All we think about, all that's going on in our minds is our circumstances, our flesh, our desires, our wants, our sin, our shame, our regret, things that have happened to us in the past, things that have not happened to us yet. And all these things are the things that we focus on all the time. And these are the things that we think about rather than being conscious of God. But if if we were conscious of God, if we were aware of God, if we were walking around as a people who constantly were aware and cognizant of God that is with us, God that is for us, God that is working in our lives, the God that is always turning things around for our good, our lives would look radically different. We see this notion of God consciousness all throughout the Bible. We see it in the story of Jacob. Jacob is, he goes through this area called Luz or Luz or it's L-U-Z. I mispronounce it every time. He, he renames the place Bethel. He falls asleep. He has a vision of a ladder coming down from heaven, angels ascending and descending. And when he wakes up, he says, well, surely God was in this place, but I did not know it. I think that's probably the testimony of a lot of us. We walk into this place not knowing. And we leave after service. We're saying, man, surely God was in that place. And I did not know it. Even the Israelites, when they were going into the promised land, he said, they, Moses said, God said, Moses, send 12 spies, right? Send 12 spies. They go and they look at the land. Man, the land is flowing with milk and honey. They even bring some grapes back, you know. They bring some fruit of the land. And they look at the land, but they're like, yes, this land is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. But... But there are enemies there. They are too great. They are so huge. We seem like grasshoppers to them. We seem like grasshoppers to ourselves, and so we seem to them. They were more conscious of their enemies than they were of the God that was with them. Most of us in our lives, the reason why we don't step into the promises of God, the reason why we don't step into the fullness of God that God has for us, the plans and purposes he has for us, is because we are so conscious of everything else going on in our lives but God. I'm calling you to do this, but there's this and there's this situation and there's this situation. I want to bless you in your finances. God, have you seen my bank account? I'm going to change you. I'm going to change your family, but God. And we walk around constantly conscious of everything else going on. We're conscious of our addictions. But not the God that 
breaks through every addiction. See, today I want to talk to you about God consciousness. This is a revelation God started to speak to me right before the retreat. And then Pastor Daniels talked about it a bit. And even Dr. Kirby talked about it, about how we need to have a consciousness of who God is and where God is and what God is doing and his plans and his desires for our life more than anything else. That if that was the way that we live, it changes everything. You know, Paul prayed in Ephesians 1. He said, he said that the father of glory, Ephesians 1.17, that the father of glory may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know God. A spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will be conscious of who God is and what God is doing in your life. Because when we have that kind of mindset, when we live in that kind of way, it changes everything. And we see it here in our text for today. We see it here in Psalm 16. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. What David is saying here is that I have made a decision that I am going to be conscious of God no matter what goes on in my life. I have made a decision that I am going to see God before me in everything that goes on. Dr. Kirby said something like this at the retreat. He said, the only way that you can move forward in life is if what is before you is greater than what is behind you. And see, the only way that we move forward into the promises of God is if we set God before us. But many of us, we set our sin before us and God's behind us. We think about the good old days when we really loved Jesus. Or we set our circumstances before us, but God behind us. We set our desires before us and God behind us. God, why am I not married yet? God, why is this not happening in my family? God, why am I not having breakthrough? And we set God behind us. But David says, I set the Lord always before me, meaning I am conscious of God in every situation. I am conscious of him in everything. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. When he says that he is at his right hand, that means that that God is at the place of power in his life. You know, how many of us are right handed? You know, for me, my right hand, you know, if I hit you with my left, it ain't, ain't going to hurt that much. But if I hit you with, I mean, I won't hit you because I'm a pastor. <laughs> Unless you test me. <laughs> the right hand understood biblically was the place of strength. And so when David says, I set the Lord always before me, he is at my right hand. He says, I have an awareness that God is in my life and that God has the foremost power, the foremost authority in my life. And see, when David lives like that, that means that no matter what goes on in his life, he understands that God is at the strong place, that God has all power. God has all authority. And then four things happen. Four things happen when you do this. Look at the text. Four things happen. He says, I set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. How many of us are Christian walks one day where one day we're in love with Jesus. The next day we're in despair. It's like, I see you on, I see you on Sunday. You're like, how you doing? Everything's fantastic. Everything's great. I see you next Sunday. Everything sucks. How many of us are like that on Sunday? We're great. On Monday, we are depressed. Oh, that's none of y'all. That's, that's just me. I know I'm speaking to somebody. 
He says, I set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Meaning that because he is conscious of God, it doesn't matter what happens. He's never, he's never moved from the place of confidence. You know, Pastor Aaron, she did this, uh, she did this seminar with our leaders about the, the top 10, uh, top 10 myths about romance. And, uh, she made me help her, uh, do the research. I guess she was sending me on like a covert mission. She's like, Pastor Marcus, you need to learn something. So go interview all the married couples about myths regarding marriage. And that is set me free, you know. I learned so much. I was like, man, I do not understand anything. But at the end of it, she was like, I want to put one more on there. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what are you going to put? She's like, that the, the biggest myth is that what she's like, the biggest thing people need to know is that the most attractive quality is confidence. I was like, what? I thought it's that, you know, you dress well and that you're nice. She's like, don't nobody care about that. It's that you're confident, that you're never moved by your circumstances. You're never moved by your situation. You know why many people don't come to Christ? Because Christians are not attractive. We're constantly being moved to and fro by our circumstances because we're so conscious of everything else going on in our lives and not conscious of the God who is at our right hand that we would not be shaken. The first benefit is that you will not be shaken. The second thing he says is, therefore, my heart was glad. You know what that word glad means in the Hebrew? Glad. Real deep, right? When you are conscious of God before anything else, your life, you get happy. Happy. I'm not going to sing the song. See, many of us have grown up in churches that are filled with religion that make you think that God's desire for your life is for you to suffer and die, and he doesn't care about your happiness. But that's being preached by people who aren't reading their Bibles. Because if you read your Bible, you see that God cares about your happiness. David said, I set the Lord always before me that I would not be shaken, and therefore my heart was glad. God wants you to walk around each and every day with a gladness of your, in your heart. He wants you to wake up each morning not hating that you woke up. Last week I talked about people who constantly hit the alarm. They hit the alarm each and every time because they want to stay in dreamland. Because reality is too much for them to bear. And some of them are just lazy. But God wants you to wake up each and every day with gladness in your heart. But that only happens when you're conscious of God. The third thing is that my whole being rejoices. That means that the core of who you are, the core of everything that within you is filled with joy. That when you walk down the street every day, that you are filled with joy no matter the weather. You know, some of us, we're so affected by whether or not it's raining or sunny outside. Oh, it's, it's raining today. I'm going to be mad emo. I'm going to sit in a corner by myself and write in my journal. My whole being rejoices. Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2, and he says something a little different. He says, therefore, my tongue rejoiced. Meaning that when you set God always before you, when you are conscious of God, when you are always conscious of where he is, who he is, and what he's doing in your life, even your speech starts to change. For so many of us, we're wondering, why am I always so negative? Why am I always so critical? Why am I always saying bad things about myself and about other people? It's because that's the only thing you're conscious of. If you were conscious of God, all of a sudden everything starts to change. Then you start to speak differently. 
how are you doing today? Well, you know, they're like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. You know, people that, that have that, that, that's their confession, those are the kind of people in whom faith just exudes from their lives. Those are the kind of people in whom favor just exudes from their lives. Because their tongue is constantly rejoicing. They're constantly talking about the good things God is doing. And their life begins to come into alignment with that. Why? Because they're conscious of God. See, God wants you to have a God consciousness today. He wants to be the foremost thing you think about. He wants to be the foremost thing that you focus on. And then the last thing he says is that your flesh always also dwells secure. That means that the benefits aren't even, they aren't just spiritual. But if you struggle with anxiety and depression, if you have night terrors, if you do, when you set God before you, all of a sudden, all the anxiety that manifests in your body begins to be removed. I know I myself have struggled for anxiety for so long. And then as soon as I started getting this revelation of setting God before me, setting him in that place, all of a sudden I felt peace begin to come upon my body. For some of you, you've been wondering how to get set free from anxiety. You need to start being more conscious of God. So David says here, he says, I've set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. But then he goes on. Why is this? Why are all these things happening? Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your holy one see corruption. All of a sudden, David was proclaiming all these things that God that take place in him. And then all of a sudden in the passage, it shifts and he starts speaking in the negative for you will not for you will not. Why does he speak against these things? It's because there are two big things that keep us from being conscious of God more than anything else. And it's this. It's the fear of abandonment and it's the fear of corruption. David talks about being conscious of God, being filled with joy, being filled with life, being filled with security. We all want that, right? We all want that. Amen. Okay, three of you want it. The rest of y'all, I'm going to pray for y'all after. Y'all ain't sure. It's like, oh, I'm okay being in this pit. No, that's not good. God wants full freedom for you. So David says all these things, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. Why is that? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. The first thing he talks about is that God will not abandon him. And that's because one thing that all of us struggle with, one thing that most people struggle with is the fear of abandonment. The fear of abandonment is the fear of rejection. It's this fear that at the deep core of who you are, not not just even an abandonment because someone doesn't like you or an abandonment because, you know, it's not like in high school when you ask that girl out and she shuts you down like that never happened to me. Or no, actually. okay, so. So I remember I remember clear as day. I remember I've been rejected multiple times. All right. So I've got multiple stories. Uh, but I remember in high school, there was this girl. Her name was Julie Betts. I just put her name on podcast. <laughs> Edit that media team. No, I'm just kidding. And I remember it was prom. And I remember I went up to Julie. And I was like, you know, we are close friends. We're real close friends. And 
But I felt I felt a little insecure anyways because, like, Julie was, like, three inches taller than me. And so I was like, okay, we go to prom together with he- her wearing heels. Like, this is not going to go well. These pictures are going to be very interesting. Um, but I go to Julie, and I ask her to prom, right? And I'm like, I'm like, you know, would you like to go to prom with me? She's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Julie was a close friend of mine, and I remember – She's like, yeah, okay. And I was like, okay, cool. We'll go to prom. Awesome. Go to prom. I got a date to go to prom. And then the next day she comes back to me. She's like, um, actually, I can't go to prom with you. What? She was like, my dad. My dad found out who you were. And uh, he said, no. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm cool. <laughs> I, I had a reputation for being like a partier and stuff. Um, I don't, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but yeah, but I just remember that sense of rejection. But more than that, the abandonment of the soul was something that most believers struggle with. It's not just the high school crush that's turning you away. It's a, a deep rejection. It's the deep and utter sense that we get that something's not right with our lives. The deep and utter sense that something's not right with us, something's not right with what's going on, that, that we feel like inside of us that we are not quite right. And therefore, we fear that not only will other people reject us, but that God will reject us. And this fear causes us to be more conscious of everything else but God. You know, when you're afraid of rejection, you, you're only conscious of that rejection. You're only conscious of what you need to do to be approved or what you can do to help to know that pain or know that fear. And it causes you not to be conscious of God anymore, to be conscious of everything else going on in your life. Then all of a sudden you begin to interpret your circumstances as being evidence that God doesn't love you. You begin to interpret your sin and even your mistakes as the fact that God's not with you. You begin to interpret your life through the lens of the fact that God is not around. And it causes you to begin to see things and be conscious of only the things that are happening in the natural and not what God is doing in the spirit. I love the story in 2 Kings. I want everyone to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. I believe this story, it, it shows God consciousness better than almost any story in the Bible I can think of. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'll look from verses 8 to 17. It says, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God, talking about Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called to his servants and said to them, will you not show me who is of us, who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. What? That's prophecy right there. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. 
I want to pause. So what's happening right now is that the Syrians are at war with Israel. And so the king of Syria is like, I'm going to put my camp here because I'm going to I'm going to intercept the Israelites. I'm going to we're going to defeat them. And so this is the place we're going to go. But Elisha obviously is a man filled with the spirit. He hears from God. He's been trained up by Elijah. And so he gets the prophetic word. You know what? King of Israel, don't put don't put your your camp there. Don't put your camp there. The king of Syria is going to come and attack. You'll be routed. Go go over here. And so he's like, all right, cool. We're going to put our camp here. And so now the king of Syria goes and he doesn't see he's expecting to see Israel, but he doesn't see them. And so he's like, what is going on? Who's who's talking? Who's talking? Who's telling stuff? You know. And then they tell him it's this one guy, Elisha. And so because of this one guy, he takes all the hosts, his entire army. He takes his entire army to go against one man. This is a picture of Satan towards the believer. See, you don't understand how powerful you are. See, many of us, we think that we are weak and we don't understand that when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, Satan, he uses his whole army sometimes to come against us. We have that kind of power inside of us. And so he sends his army. He sends his whole army to get one man. All right, let's keep reading. And so he sends his whole army. And now it says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my, ma- alas, my master, what shall we do? And you imagine this. This is not even Elisha. Elisha doesn't see it. His servant walks outside and sees a massive army. I mean, imagine if you were that servant. You know they're not even coming for you. They're coming for your boss. But if they kill him, they're going to kill you too. <laughs> so immediately he's thinking, wait, hold on. He's like, he didn't have to even count much. He's like, one, two. Oh, somebody's going to get a hurt real bad. <laughs> Like, this is not going to go well for me, you know? And so he looks and he sees this whole army and he realizes it's just him and Elisha. And so he goes and he turns to Elisha and he says, Master, what shall we do? And then Elisha just turns to him and says, I can imagine he was just chilling. He's probably reclining in the tent. And he turns to me and says, hey, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He tells this to him. I'm sure the servant in that moment was like, no, can't you count? It is one and two versus 50 million. Whatever you're drinking, you need to stop. And he's like, so Elisha prays. (laughs) He's like, all right. So Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Meaning that he was conscious of what was happening in the natural, but he didn't have real sight because he wasn't conscious of what was happening in the spiritual. He wasn't conscious of what God was doing. So the Lord opened his eyes. The Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, the servant was so conscious of what the enemy was doing that he wasn't conscious of what God was doing. The servant was so conscious of the fact that it was two against 50 million that he couldn't quite comprehend that those who were with him was more than who was against him. And see, what breaks the fear of abandonment, what breaks that fear of rejection is when you start to begin to understand that those who are with you are more than those who are against you. When God begins to open up your eyes and you start to become conscious of the fact that God is with you. If God is for you, who can be against you? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
If God is for you, if God is with you, what can man do to me? See, what you need to realize is that even in your circumstances, in what's going on around you, as longer you stay conscious of those and not God, you will always think that God is not with you. But the moment, the very moment where you think that God has abandoned you, the, re- the truth is, is that you will, if you will set God before you, you will begin to see that God is with you. Not only that God is with you, but that God is moving on your behalf. For those who think that in that area that there's no hope, you need to just start setting God before you because then you'll begin to see that God is working behind the scenes for your benefit. I hear so many testimonies here in this house of people who have siblings, of family members, and and there were times where they lost all hope, not realizing that behind the scenes, God was working to save their lives. In every area of your life, God wants you to know he's never leave you. He would never forsake you. See, God wants you to be conscious and acknowledge him. And you begin to see he's working behind the scenes. He's opening doors that no man can shut. He is opening up things for you. But you got to start setting him before you. The next thing David says, he doesn't just say that you will not abandon my soul. To Sheol, he says that you will also not let your Holy One see corruption. And this word corruption is an interesting word. This word corruption in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean corruption. It literally means a pit. It, it means a pit that was used to catch lions. And so if you translate this passage literally, David's saying you will not let your Holy One get caught. You will not let your Holy One stumble. You will not let your Holy One fall into a pit. See, the second fear is that most, that many believers walk around with this constant fear that they're going to stumble. This constant fear that, that they're going to fall into sin or that things not going to work, things are not going to work out well for them or that everything in their lives is heading down the wrong path. I love, I love Proverbs chapter three, verses 25 to 26. It says, do not fear the sudden terror. Or the dread of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being caught. That word sudden terror, that word dread, it literally means don't fear the same things that non-believers fear. People who don't know God walk around constantly fearing that their finances are going to get taken from them. That they're going to get sick and die. That everything in their lives is going to go downward. But those who walk with the Lord, the Lord is their confidence. He keeps you from being caught. Imagine how different your life would look if you walked around thinking, I'm not going to fall into sin. This addiction doesn't have any hold on me. I'm not, go- I'm not even going to continue to look at that. I'm not, that thing has nothing on me. That depression is not going to hold me down any longer. Imagine how different your life would look if you walked around with the expectation that God will keep you from stumbling. It's the keeping power of God. Pastor Christian preached a message about that. It was called, what if I don't stumble? Because so many of us ask, what if I stumble? When the question we should ask is, what if I don't stumble? Jude 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You know, God's desire for your life is for you not to stumble. That God's desire for your life is for you to inherit the promises. 
God's desire for your life is for every word that he's spoken over your life to be fulfilled. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And that means that God is actually working on your behalf to keep you from stumbling. But the reason why most of us stumble is because we still have not set God before us. The more you look at that sin, the more you look at that circumstance, the more you look at that very thing, you will continue to walk straight to it. But the moment you set God before you, the moment you make that decision, I'm going to be conscious of what God is doing. Then all of a sudden you become aware of his keeping power in every moment of your life. That even when things seem to not be going right, even when things don't seem to be moving, that God is still working. And then David keeps going. Well, you know, actually about this keeping power, I want to say, for many believers, we have this idea that that God is constantly testing us. That God is is putting us in these tests and, and we're just meant to fail. You know, I walked around with this kind of mindset of Christianity. So every time something would happen, or even when I would make a mistake, it was... My understanding was that God, like I would keep my circumstances before me because I had this understanding that God was testing me and he was giving me this really hard test that he was expecting me to fail. But I want to tell you that everything that happens in your life, God is putting there for you to succeed, not for you to fail. You know, when we tell the story of the Israelites going through the wilderness and coming out of Egypt, we make it like God's intention was to keep them in the wilderness. God's intention was for them to go into the promised land. God's intention, he had every intention of keeping them, of providing for them, of upholding them, of lifting them up so that they would enter into the promises. And when that fear of corruption, when that fear of abandonment gets broken off, here's what happens. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we get free from the fear of abandonment and the fear of failing, all of a sudden, not only do we start becoming more aware of who God is and his, what he's doing in our lives, but we become aware of his plans and purposes for our lives. We begin to know what we're supposed to do. The path of life. That his plans are good. You know, today I just felt like the Lord wanted to tell you that his plans for you are good. That his plans for your family are good. His plans for your future are good. They're not just good. They're amazing. They're not just good. They're beyond your comprehension. They're not just good. They're beyond what you can imagine for yourself. But when you you first have to set him before you. You first have to make a decision, God, I'm going to think about you. I'm going to be conscious of you more than anything else. Satan would love for you to be conscious of everything else but God. Because he knows that there's so much power when you're conscious of who God is. You begin to know what God wants you to do. You begin to walk the path of life. You begin to experience his presence. 
For some of you, you felt distant from God. You felt far from God. You felt like you've not been able to enjoy his presence. You feel like God is on the other side of the world. You feel like God is just way up in heaven. You're here on earth and there's no, and you don't know his presence. But that's because everything else is taking up your attention but God. It says, in your presence there's fullness of joy. There we go again with that joy and that happiness thing. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. C.S. Lewis talked about how many believers we were hopping around in a puddle thinking that, that that's what God has for us. When God's standing there like a father in front of the ocean being like, this is actually what I've got. I've got an ocean of pleasure, an ocean of joy. I've got an ocean. All his waves and breakers crash over you. He wants for all his goodness and mercy to follow you, not just follow you, but overtake you. But that only happens when you start to first set the Lord before you and be conscious of who he is.